the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. We have seen God preparing the Israelites to enter into the land he had promised them. He gave them further instructions on how they were to carry the tabernacle and trek through the desert wilderness to a land flowing with milk and honey. God had given the people an important task to clear from the camp the people that were ceremonially unclean. Last we saw in Numbers chapter 6 that God was implementing the Nazarite vow, a voluntary vow someone could take in service to the Lord. We join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers takes us from Mount Sinai and begins to get Israel on the move. And thus, we're learning lots of lessons about what it means to journey with Jesus. And last week, we looked at all the loose ends that Israel needed to tie up before they could leave Sinai. Hard things they needed to do. They had put off obeying because it meant dealing with people's sin. But we also started to look at the Nazarite vow, a challenge that had nothing to do with sin. And when a Nazarite would successfully complete their vow to the Lord, they would celebrate it with a special ceremony. And so as we look at that, and then one other ceremony in chapter seven tonight, we're gonna see that there's always a part I play and a part God plays if I'm to experience all he has for me. I remember there was a, a book I read, I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but it was as a young Christian, someone gave it to me. And because they'd heard me say the phrase, you just need to let go and let God. And the, the guy kind of addresses that phrase in his book. And he says, you know, I understand what people mean by that, but it's not entirely true because we have responsibilities that we need to fulfill. We have a part and God has a part. And so the idea is it is a partnership. If we're going to experience all God has for us, we need to play our part and let God do his part. Tonight, as we look at these ceremonies that illustrate it, may we learn that understanding both of those, what's God's part and what I need to trust him with and what's my part? What do I need to be doing faithfully and obediently? But maybe we understand that both understandings are vital if we're going to walk faithfully with him. So Numbers chapter 6, we'll read verses 1 through 12 and then we'll pick up the study in verse 13. Verse 1, chapter 6, and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when either a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, and then it gives the three prohibitions if they take this vow. Number one, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liqueur of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. That's number one. Number two, all the days of the vow of separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled in which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy so he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. That's number two. Now, number three, and all the days that he has separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come near to no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother, for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. Now, verses nine through 12 are an exception where they need to start over if they accidentally violate the rule about being near a dead body. And if any man die very suddenly, 
by him or close to him, and he has defiled the head of his consecration. Well, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall save it. On the eighth day, he shall bring two turtles, doves, or two young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering, and make an atonement for him, for that he has sinned by the dead or by his proximity to the dead. He's not kept his vow, so he shall hallow his head that same day, start over, basically. Verse 12, he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation, and he'll bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering, but the days that he was serving before, they're lost because his separation was defiled. So that's kind of the rules we've gotten to thus far. Now, verse 13 covers what to do when you've successfully completed your vow. It says, and this is the law of the Nazarite when the days of his separation are fulfilled, when he completes them. He shall be brought under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he shall offer his offering unto the Lord. And here's his offering. One he lamb of the first year, male lamb of the first year, without blemish, and it will be a burnt offering. And that symbolizes total sacrifice, total surrender. Then one you lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, one ram without blemish for peace offerings, and then a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with olive oil, and then wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings. So what's interesting is he brings every single offering that you can bring to the Lord except for a trespass offering. Every single one. By bringing these offerings, the Nazarite is communicating that everything they did during that time was for the Lord and not for self. Lord, I didn't do this for me. This was a burnt offering to symbolize my total surrender to you. Lord, I'm bringing a grain offering because that symbolized service to the Lord. The service was all for you. Peace offerings was just to fellowship, hang out with the Lord. Lord, that was all for you. And then a sin offering, you might say, what was that for here? Well, the sin offering is because it was to cover any time that self inadvertently got involved in his vow, just in case it did. And so to even show the Lord that, Lord, even in the times where I failed to keep my vow properly, where self got involved, Lord, I'm bringing this offering because that wasn't my intent. Now, again, the only thing that's not included here is the trespass offering. Trespass is when you know you're doing something wrong, but you do it anyway, and that would violate the vow completely, and therefore you couldn't just bring a trespass offering. Every other offering is involved here. The drink offering is another way of the burnt offering, the idea of your life being poured out for the Lord, because you would take it, no one would drink it, they'd take it and they'd dump it out. This would also be quite costly. It mentions here in the verse 16, the priest shall bring them before the Lord and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram of the sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord with that basket of the bread loaves. The priest shall also offer his grain offering and his drink offering. This would be costly. I mean, you're bringing multiple animals, baking multiple products here, which showed that someone had to be serious if they were going to be doing this vow. And that's interesting because the Bible urges us to not take vows, right? Jesus said, don't vow a vow unto the Lord. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? We're to be people of integrity. When I was a kid, I grew up in a little bit more of a traditional church environment that had a lot of liturgy and stuff like that. And so the big thing to do when you got in trouble was, I swear on the Bible I didn't do it. Like that would make it real. That would make it genuine. I learned later on when I got saved and I understood this verse, I was like, oh, that was like horrible to think and say. We shouldn't have to do that. Our character should, should be something that has so much integrity that no one would ever question whether we were being honest with them. We're to be people of integrity. But there are times 
times when it's right to take a vow. Marriage, you get married, you need to take a vow for that because you're promising till death do us part. It's interesting in some wedding services today, they don't do the vows. And I will tell you right now, if you're not doing vows, you're not married, okay? If you go back and you look at Genesis, you look at all the things that were present in our modern day wedding and none of them are there with a few exceptions. One of them is the vow because Adam, when he saw her, he said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He didn't say that because, oh, hey, she's just like me. She was taken out of me. No, that's why he names her woman because she was taken out of him. But when he makes a statement, this is now bone of my bones. She already existed before now. She already was there. So he wasn't just identifying her as, hey, this is the other side of me. No, he's saying this is now because God's brought her to me. We're going to enter into this relationship. We've made this covenant with each other. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Vows are what make two people married. That and that alone. You know, I have people come to me sometimes and they say to me, well, Pastor Will, you know, we didn't get married in a church. Yeah, it's great. Adam and Eve didn't either. Well, you know, we didn't have a minister do our service. That's great. Adam and Eve didn't either. Well, none of our family was present. Adam and Eve didn't have anybody there except for Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Did you make your promise before God? Did you make your promise to him? That's all that mattered. You're married. And that means you need to stick with it. There are times when it's right to make a vow. Marriage is one of them. We make vows when we sign contracts. I mean, I signed a mortgage contract. I need to pay that. God's not cool with me just going, I'm not going to pay that. No, we need to do that. Now, when you make a promise to God, you might fail at times to fulfill it. Surely, I made lots of promises on my wedding day, and I probably don't fulfill many of them each day. But the difference is, is when you make a vow, you must get back up again and keep it. You must get back up again and keep moving forward. You can't just go, I'm not doing a good job at this. I'm done with my vow. No. If you're not willing to pay that price, then don't make the promise. Don't make the promise. That's why when I do premarital counseling, we go very early. We talk about what these vows are and the promise that you're making and the seriousness of them. When I do a wedding, I tell the couple that's there, this is the most solemn, most holy commitment you will enter into next to your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to mean it (laughs) because God's gonna hold you to it. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes 5 where the Lord says, don't tell the messenger, oh, I made a mistake. For the Lord says, I have no pleasure in fools. Pay your vow, pay your vow, lest I destroy the work of your hands. So it's important for us to keep our vows. Otherwise, don't make them. Just be a person of integrity. But when you make a promise, you should keep it. Maybe you're here going, man, Pastor, I'm in trouble because I've got some vows I haven't kept. Okay, well, what's keeping you from keeping them right now? Just recommit it to the Lord. I mean, that's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of the spirit of God living inside of us. And I can look at all my failure and I can say, okay, I'm gonna move forward from here. Lord, I made a promise, I'm gonna keep it. When I'm not being a good husband, I come back to the Lord and say, okay, God, I didn't do my job. I made some promises to my wife and I haven't been keeping them. So Lord, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna get back up. I'm gonna get back on the horse and we're gonna ride with everything in us to be faithful to keep my vows again. The Lord's grace is sufficient for that. If you look at that, don't let the enemy condemn you. That's not what this is for. But it's to remember, okay, if you're failing, well, then just start again. Commit to the Lord tonight and say, Lord, I'm gonna keep that vow. And the Lord will help you to do that. He would bring this, but he had one other part of his offering he had to bring, verse 18. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take the hair of the head of his separation and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. So on that altar, there would be the barbecue and meat and everything is cooking and you're gonna celebrate with the peace offerings with friends and family and the priests will eat too. It's just gonna be a great big celebration for the completion of this vow. But while that's going on, you had to now shave all that hair that you'd been growing and having 
been shaved, and you would bring that whole gnarly mess to the tabernacle, and you would bring it to the priest, and he would take your hair, and he would put it on the fire underneath there, and it would be consumed in the fire. And so what's fascinating about that is it would include both men and women, which ladies, you tend to like your hair and you like it to be a certain way. So this is interesting because men back then used to feel that way about their hair. Guys these days, I mean, maybe some of you guys care about your hair. I usually kind of have to try to sneak out of the house with letting my wife see my hair because it's going to get corrected. <laughs> and my kids are the same way. I see them and I look at them and I'm like, are you going out like that? I'm like, what's wrong? And I'm like, you're just like me. I'm glad I have a wife. I say, go talk to your mother. I can't fix it, but she will fix it for you. Anyway, back then, though, it was a shame for a man to shave his head. Remember when David sent those emissaries to the king of Ammon? Uh, Because the king of Ammon had died, he sent it to the son of the king of Ammon, who was now the king of Ammon. And he sent messengers to them, give his condolences. The king of Ammon had a lot of young counselors. He was young himself. And so they said to the messengers, they said, oh, you're just here to spy us out. And so he shaved their beards and sent them back with their bottoms uncovered, without pants on, basically. They were mortified. And when word came to David, when they came over the border, David said to him, listen, you guys stay there until your beards are grown and everything comes back and then you can come see me. I realize it's embarrassing. So back then it was also embarrassing for a man to not have his beard and everything. For a man or a woman here to not have their hair and to shave it would be a bit humbling. And I think again, that serves to strip them of any self-glorying at the successful conclusion of their promise. You say, well, why would that be important? Well, why are you getting into the self-glorying? Well, remember, a Nazarite vow is done publicly. If you were just making a vow of service to the Lord, where you come to the tabernacle and you say, hey, I want to dedicate the next two weeks to helping out, and how can I help? And they say, okay, you can help carry these things and help this guy out, whatever. People may have seen it if they came to the tabernacle, but if they weren't there, they wouldn't have noticed. Nazarite vow, everywhere you went, be like, man, John, you're going to cut your hair? And they'd be like, John, you'd be like, well, no, I took a Nazarite vow. And be like, oh, That explains a few things. And as a result, it would be well known. When you successfully completed your vow, the temptation would be to boast and say, I I committed this to God. I was really spiritual. And everyone would see and go, yeah, that guy's really spiritual. And so this would be a humbling thing for them, again, to get out of self and to remember it was for the Lord. So he would also bring a hair offering. The third offering he would bring would be part of the peace offering, and it would be a wave offering. It says in verse 19, and the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram, sodden just means boiled, shoulder of the ram, and one unleavened cake out of the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and he shall put them into the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven. So he goes and takes a shave, or she goes and shaves, and come back, and after the hair has been burned in there, then he takes these parts of his offering, and the priest puts them in the hands of the Nazarite, and the priest will wave them for a wave offering, take his hands and wave them before the Lord, and then this becomes the priest portion. This is holy for the priest with the wave breast and the heave shoulder. We studied that in Leviticus. And after that, then the Nazarite can drink wine. He can go back to his regular life. His vow is complete. Again, the wave offering, though, remember when we said you would wave it back and forth, even though part of it was going to the priest and part of it you were going to eat, the wave offering showed that this small portion represented that the entire offering belonged to God. In the same way that this special period of dedication to the Lord represented the commitment of their entire lives to the Lord. Lord, I want my whole life to be service to you, even though I only dedicated this particular amount of time away from my business, away from my family, to serve you in some special capacity. Verse 21, This is the law of the Nazarite who has vowed and of his offering unto the Lord for his separation beside that which his hand shall get according to the vow which he vowed so must he do after the law of his separation. So these are the rules for the Nazarite vow. 
all those loose ends are tied up. And so verse 22, the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, we're about ready to go, Moses. Speak unto Aaron and unto his son saying, on this wise, you shall bless the children of Israel. So now that they've done what God asked them to do, he says, I want to impart a blessing to you. And so he says, this is how you will bless them. And this is what you'll do each day, Aaron. You'll go out and you will bless the people. And this is how you will bless them. You will say to them, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And so they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. This is the famous Jewish blessing. It's the one that if you ever listen to Pastor Chuck, he would almost every service close it with this, where he would say, the Lord bless thee and keep thee and then go through the whole thing. It's a special blessing when you look at it because of what it entails. It's a beautiful, beautiful blessing to be pronounced upon God's people. Now he says to them, on this wise, you shall bless the children of Israel saying unto them. I love this because this shows us God's heart is to bless his people. Why does God want us to be faithful? Why does he want us to be obedient? Because he wants to bless us. He wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. And so he urges us to do things the way of blessing. And there is a way of blessing. Now that doesn't mean we earn God's blessing, but there is a way of blessing. We see it all throughout the scriptures. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he does meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the water. I mean, that says there are conditions there. And it's not that we're earning God's blessing. I'm earning God's blessing. I have to earn God's blessings. No, it's just that there are things we can do that inhibit the things he wants to do in our lives. And I don't want any of that. I don't know about you. I don't want anything that inhibits God from pouring out everything upon me that he wants to pour out upon me. I want everything he has for me. I don't want to get in the way of any of it with my stubbornness or my pride or my disobedience. I don't want to be the thing that where God's just saying, I want to do this for you. Say, well, not now, Lord, I'm doing this. I don't want that. So God loves to bless his people. And so he urges us to do things the way of blessing, even when that way is difficult. And we see that desire to bless in these final verses. The word to bless, it means to invoke divine favor upon someone. It means to pronounce God's grace and goodness upon someone else. And that is God's heart toward you. He wants to show his grace towards you. He wants to show his goodness towards you. And what a beautiful thing when we can bless somebody with that. The first part here of this famous blessing, it says, the Lord bless you, we've already covered that, and keep you. Simple blessing, it means to guard or watch over you. A really simple blessing. Every night I pray with my kids, Lord, keep my kids safe. Watch over them and protect them as they sleep. And I thank you for that. I mean, that is a easy blessing that you can pray upon somebody. That you can say, Lord, just keep so-and-so. Keep so-and-so. Guard them, protect them. Beautiful blessing. Next it says, the Lord make his face shine upon you. The word there or phrase to make shine means to give someone sight through bringing light. In other words, there's darkness and then you bring light to them by shining light into the darkness so that they can see. When it says here, the Lord make his face be the thing that gives sight to you. May his face be the thing that brings light to you, giving you sight. You might be asking the question, or at least I did, what's good for me to be able to see? Like, why is this a blessing? What do I need to see? Well, his face, right? That's the thing that's bringing light. So the thing that's shining is the thing you'll see. So it's his face that I need to see. When you speak face to face with someone, it implies that all is well, right? When someone turns their back on you, it's because things are not well. And so when you're speaking face to face with someone, it implies that all is well. When God shows us his face, it declares his loving acceptance to us, his approval, his pleasure. 
Isn't that a great blessing to pray for somebody? Lord, would you show this person how much you love them? Do you show they're accepted in Christ? Would you show where they're pleased with them? Will you show that they belong to you? I mean, what a great blessing to pray for somebody. Part of what makes heaven so awesome is that we're gonna see his face every day. In Revelation chapter 22, it mentions that there will be no need for the sun or the moon because the Lord will light. It says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face. Can you imagine what that would be like? I try to imagine Jesus's face to like actually see him. I don't know what he looks like. I mean, I see all the movies, but they usually look like white Americans. Jesus was Jewish. You know, I imagine he was probably a little bit shorter, had some other characteristic traits, you know, probably talked with his hands. I imagine that was probably a little bit more like him. Those of you who are Jewish are laughing. You understand it. I I have one eighth Jewish in me. And so I'm also Hispanic. So that means if you tie my hands behind me, I can't speak. First Corinthians 13, 12, which says, now we see through a glass or a mirror, like a smoky mirror. We see through it dimly, the, the scripture says, but it means like one that's foggy. You ever tried to shave on a foggy mirror? Or you ever try to do your hair or put your make on ladies in a foggy mirror? It's not easy. Well, then it says, we'll see face to face. Like here, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to get exactly what he's like. And I have it in his word as best as I can possibly understand it. But then face to face. See, right now I have to trust his promises. I have to trust what the word says about his character. But then I'll know it's all true because I'll just look at him and I'll know it. I'll see it in his face. I'll see it just in the same way that my kids look up at me and smile and I know they love their daddy. I see it in the same way that I'll see his face and I'll know I am my beloved's and he is mine. And all the things that I had to trust and take on faith, I won't have to do that anymore because I'll see it right in front of me. What a great blessing to pronounce upon somebody. Lord, let them see your face more clearly even now. And be gracious unto thee. Gracious there means to be compassionate, merciful, kind. Oh Lord, don't give to me what I deserve, but don't give to this person what they deserve either. What a beautiful blessing to pronounce upon somebody. Lord, be nice to that person when they haven't been nice to others. Lord, be merciful, be compassionate. Lord, it's nice to us when we haven't been to him or to those he's made, he's created. That's how he is. And so it's important that we pray that he'd be that way to others as well. You know, there are biblical prayers and then there are biblical prayers. David said, Lord, break their teeth, cut off their offspring. Don't pray that prayer. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee. Now the word here countenance is another word for face, but it speaks less of his actual face and more to do with his presence. It's like when we read, and the Lord remembered so-and-so. Remember Noah, he's on the boat and kind of going through the whole thing with the flood. And then it says, and the Lord remembered Noah. What does it mean that God forgot about him? That there was a party up in heaven and all of a sudden somebody came by and said, hey, Lord, how's that Noah guy doing? Oh no, Michael, have you been keeping an eye on him? Gabriel, how about you? That's not what that means means when the Lord remembered somebody. When it means the Lord remembers, it means he, he begins to work actively on our behalf again. So when you're praying for this, you're saying, Lord, will you actively work in this person's life? What a great prayer to pray for somebody. Lord, I know you know about their situation. I know you have a plan for this situation, but Lord, would you work now in their life? Would you do something about it now? Because it seems like they're about to be crushed underneath that weight. Would you work in their life right now? What a beautiful prayer to pray for somebody and what a beautiful blessing upon you. And then lastly, it says, and give you peace. That's that word shalom. May the Lord put you at rest. May he keep you safely. May he keep you in a place that is best for you. I pray that for my kids a lot. Lord, keep them in the place that is the very best place for them to be where they'll be closest to you.
beautiful, beautiful blessing that Aaron would pronounce upon the people of God daily. And so he says, and they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, the priests, that's their job. They're gonna stamp my name on them when they give this blessing. And I will bless them when they do so. Now, I wanna ask you a question. Do you realize the power that your prayers have? Do you, do you realize that? Do you realize why it's one of the hardest things to do as a Christian? Why your body wants nothing to do with it, your flesh? Why the enemy tries to keep you from praying? Because when the Lord says, you do this, you're gonna put my name on them and I will do it. I will bless them. What a powerful promise. Anybody saying, well, wait a second, well, no, 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 this doesn't apply to us. Aaron and his sons were priests. They're different, whole different system. Oh yeah, so are we. Look at 1 Peter chapter two with me. Verse nine, Peter speaking to us says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood, turn to Revelation chapter one. You say, oh, he's just using poetic language. All right, let's see if Jesus, what he has to say through John. Verse six of Revelation chapter one. John gives his greetings from God the Father, God the Spirit, and then God the Son in verse five. He says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and what? Literally, it means he has made us a kingdom of priests. This is the doctrine known as the priesthood of all believers. We are all priests unto our God. We all have the responsibility to go before God on people's behalf and to go before people on God's behalf. That is our job. We are all called to that. Not pastors, not leaders. No, I mean, every one of us is called to that role. Jesus is our great high priest. He's the only mediator between God and man. We all can go straight to God so we can bring people before him and he can put things on our hearts that we can go minister to people. That is our role. We are all a part of this kingdom of priests if you're a believer. Here's my exhortation tonight. Here's homework. Pronounce blessings on others. Pray for them. Say, God, do these things for so-and-so because God says that he will bless them when you do. God desires to bless us as his people. Oftentimes, we can get in the way of all that God has for us with our own apathy and sin. God is gracious, slow to anger, wanting to shine his face upon us, even in the darkest days. God is for us. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Jesus.